Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. This is your wonderful co-host, Dan Newman, joined by my equally wonderful co-host, Andrew Newman, and we are here for yet another episode of the Hello World Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. Before we begin with today's topic, I would just like to encourage you all to please give us a follow on your podcast app of choice, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else you may listen to podcasts. We also would encourage you to please give us a rating on that podcast app of choice. Give us a like on Facebook, uh, Hello Old Sports Podcast. You can also email the show at Hello, old sports at gmail.com to tell us whatever you think about the show, uh, suggestions for future topics, anything that you want to talk to us about. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you don't like about the show. And of course, we have a number of great podcasts other than ours on the Sports History Network. So we'd encourage you to check out some of those other great shows on the Sports History Network. You can check those out at sportshistorynetwork.com. So I am joined, as I said, by my co-host and brother, Andrew Newman. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Dan. Sitting here watching some of the NBA playoffs as we speak, and it'll be apropos of what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, Not quite to the level we're at yet, but um, yeah, I'm I'm doing well and uh, excited to, to get going for tonight. So it's NBA Finals season, and we thought that two of the things that we enjoy are a good list and a topic that is relevant to the current season in sports. So we thought just in time, probably by the time this airs, just in time for the NBA Finals, why don't we try and put together our list of the top 10 NBA Finals of all time? So Andrew's put together a list. I've put together a list. And Our goal is to come up before we wrap it up for the night to come up with a list of the top 10 NBA finals of all time. Andrew and I, uh, we've each come up with our list. And I think what the easiest thing to do is just to sort of be to take this chronologically. So we'll start at the beginning and then, you know, we can talk about who has the earliest. Then we can just kind of take it from there, if that makes sense. Yep, I think that definitely, definitely does make sense. All right. So which is the of your list? What is the and I know you said that you had a list that was maybe more than 10 and we're hoping to whittle it down a little bit before we got to our final list. What was the earliest NBA finals that you had? So the earliest ones I even have listed, I I, what I I'll be honest, before 1970, basically, I kind of just wrote down some ones that would be worth talking about. I don't feel confident in my knowledge of the sort of early 70 or early NBA, you know, 50s and early 60s. So 
you know, the first couple I just sort of highlighted were any of the seven game series. And there was actually a uh, remarkably small amount of those, you know, in that era. But I did write down, um, yeah, the first the first two seven game series were actually back to back series in 1951 and 1952. Um, you had the Rochester Royals and the Minneapolis Lakers in consecutive years defeating the Knicks in seven games. Yes, I, I, I did not have either one of those, but you're right. Those were some of those early Nick teams that were coached by Joe Lapchick. And what were the two years you said, 51 and 52? Those were the first two years of seven game season of seven game finals. Yeah, there'd been five, six, six and six before that. So 51 and 52 were the first two seven game series. Yeah, 52 Lakers beat the Knicks in seven games, beat them in game seven in Minneapolis. This was back when the Lakers were still in Minnesota. They didn't move to L.A. until the early 60s. I did not have the 52 finals or the 51 finals, both of which were losses by the Knicks. I think 51, you could maybe make a case for the Knicks lose game seven in a four point loss to the Rochester Royals, 79 to 75. Keep in mind also that this is in the pre shot clock days. 52, I did not have partially because the Knicks, there's a couple good games in this series, including an overtime win for the Knicks in game four, 90 to 89 over the Lakers. But game seven is a 17 point loss for the Knicks in Minnesota. So I did not have that one. One of my main criteria is, first of all, for my 10, and I don't know if you kind of thought the same, I did not have any series that were less than seven games on my preliminary list. I felt like, there were enough really, really good seven game series out there that it wasn't worth dipping back into a shorter series, a six game series, anything less than six, I think would probably almost certainly be automatically disqualified because that's not really a competitive series, but I didn't have anything less than seven games. So I did take sort of a passing look at that 52 NBA finals. I thought it might be interesting to have one on the list to kind of represent the history of the the first dynasty, the Mike and Lakers. And then obviously as Nick fans, we have an interest in those early Nick teams. There's really only been three great eras in Nick history. There was the nineties, the Ewing years, the seventies when they won the championships, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. And then there was that early fifties when they went to, I believe it was three NBA finals in a row, lost all three. So I had thought a little bit about putting, that seven game loss to the Lakers in 1952 on the list. But at the end, it just couldn't uh, couldn't make it on there for me. Is the first one you have listed. How about a few years later, the 1957 championship between the Celtics and the St. Louis Hawks? Yes, that is the first one that was on my list of 10. And one of the things I want to do, Wikipedia does this great thing. I don't know whose idea it was to put this on Wikipedia, but it's there and I, I really like it. And this is not just for the NBA finals, but they also do this for the Super Bowl. They do this for the World Series on the Wikipedia page for that game or series or whatever. You can go through and you can look at it, it gives you a list of every Hall of Famer that participated in the series. So just to give you an idea of 57 for the Celtics. Bob Cousy, Tom Heinsohn, Andy Phillip, Frank Ramsey, Arnie Risen, Bill Russell and Bill Sharman, all Hall of Famers. For the St. Louis Hawks, Bob Pettit, Slater Martin, and Ed McCauley, 
And then both coaches, Red Arback and Alex Hannum, who's the coach of the Hawks. So one, two, three, four, five. I believe it's a dozen Hall of Famers, if you count coaches, participating in this NBA Finals. This is the rookie year for two Celtic players who would go on to be associated with the Celtics for the rest of their lives, at least in the popular memory. First is Bill Russell, who was drafted early on in the 1957 NBA draft. I believe Russell was the first overall pick, and he actually goes on. He Russell actually was slated to be drafted in the slot that was owned by the St. Louis Hawks, who had the I just want to make sure I have my my facts straight here. I'll just just bear with me for one second here. In the 1956 NBA draft, uh, Russell is drafted by the St. Louis Hawks, but there are concerns with uh, St. Louis being a somewhat southern city still suffers, not that Boston doesn't, but still suffers from a lot of Racial issues. So the Rochester Royals pick first. They draft a shooting guard. The Celtics really want Russell. Hawks own the pick, but there's a question of the fit of Russell, especially when it comes to some of the racial tensions in the city of St. Louis. So Arbach agrees to trade his star center, Ed McCauley, to the St. Louis Hawks. McCauley is somebody who has ties to the St. Louis area. Beloved Celtic in his time in the early 50s, many-time All-Star. Russell is drafted by the Hawks, immediately traded to the Celtics for not only McCauley and McCauley, but also for Cliff Hagen, who had been in the Celtics organization but had never played a game because I believe it was because of uh, military service. Yeah, mil- Hagen had been serving the military for three years, even though he was drafted by the Celtics out of Kentucky in 19. 19- 53. So they trade two Hall of Famers, Hagen and McCauley, for Bill Russell. Russell actually joins the team a third of the way through the season because he's playing in the Olympics in 1956 in Melbourne, Australia. And those of you who know your basic geography know that Australia is opposite us when it comes to its seasons. So they much like they did in 2000 in Sydney, they don't play the Olympics until into the fall in Melbourne in 1956. So Russell joins the team late, which allows for another rookie who the Celtics had been able to draft on a territorial pick, which they didn't have to enter the draft. Tommy Heinsohn, rookie of the year in 56 and 57. So the Celtics are led by Russell, led by Bob Cousy, their superstar who's been with the team since the early 50s, led by another rookie in Tommy Heinsohn, Bill Sharman, another all-time great NBA 75 player, you name it. And so they end up going against the Celtics in the 1950s. I'm sorry, they end up going against the Hawks in the 1957 NBA Finals. And And this was, by the way, this was, we probably won't talk about any of the rest of them because they weren't exactly stellar series, but four times in five years, this was the first of four times in five years that these same two teams met in the finals uh, with the Celtics getting the better end of three of them. And the Hawks get their revenge the following year in 58 in a series. that's still a very good series, but not as good as this one. Celtics win game one, 125 to 123. 
In double OT. In double overtime. Right before game three, Red Arback gets in a fight with the owner of the Hawks because he feels that the baskets are not the correct height. And I want to read to you a passage from a book called The Last Pass, which is a story of the relationship between Kuzi and Russell. And while you're looking that up, let's just, you know, we should certainly underscore that the 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 last thing that the Boston Celtics of Red Auerbach are going to tolerate is any sort of hijinks regarding the other team's gym, facilities, whatever. You'll uh, you'll recall all the stories about the Boston Garden being, um, <laughs> you know, being famously a level playing field for uh, for opposing teams in playoff series. But go ahead. <laughs> Prior to game three at the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis, Sharman, Bill Sharman, going through his scrupulous warm up shooting regimen, since the basket wasn't the appropriate height. To him, it seemed too low. Kuzi, Russell, and Ramsey agreed. Auerbach demanded a measurement. The referees brought out a measuring stick. Seeing this, Kerner, who's the owner of the Hawks, who had just done business with Auerbach in the offseason in the Russell-McCauley trade, Kerner exploded. He rushed onto the court and called Auerbach a bush leaguer. Even before Kerner finished saying it, Auerbach punched him in the mouth. (laughs) Kerner fell to the floor, his mouth bloody, a tooth dislodged. You can coach that team of yours from a hotel room, Colonel Kerner howled. And on top of that, you can't even punch. The basket's height measured the required 10 feet. So well, he was right. <laughs> Auerbach was wrong. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Auerbach was wrong. Yeah. Um, so back and forth series gets to this game seven. Heinsohn has probably as a rookie, the best game of his career, 37 points, 12 rebounds. Russell goes for 19 and 32 in his own right. 32 lead changes in this game and 28 ties. The end of the game, so many players have fouled out because I believe this is this is also a double overtime game. So many players have fouled out that Alex Hannum, the coach, has to put himself in the game, even though he hasn't been on the court in weeks. And in the very last play of the game, he throws a baseball pass, a football pass from the opposite court, trying to ricochet the ball off the backboard to Bob Pettit. And then Pettit would try and tap it in. Doesn't work. The Celtics pull away with a game seven victory. I want to get the exact score here of the game the final score 125 to 123 the exact same score <laughs> flipped of yeah. game one I and I, I might have said the Celtics won game one I the Hawks won game one so mm. same exact thing double overtime in Boston 125 to 123 but the Celtics win by two in game seven the Hawks had won by two in game one the first real sort of classic NBA finals. Yeah. Um, and they rotated wins. If you look at it, um, I think, or somehow if the Hawks won game one, the Celtics must've won. Uh, let me pull that up again. But um, I think I'm misstating that because the Hawk, the Celtics won the first two. Oh no, I'm sorry. That, you, you just said that. No, the Celtics, Celtics won four and five back to back. Yeah. Celtics won four okay. and five. Yep. Exactly. Uh, so in addition, the first game was a double overtime two point game. The second game or the seventh game was a double overtime two point game. You also had game three that was decided by two points and game six that was decided by two points. And then 
interspersed in there. Well, yeah, and then game four was a five-point game. Then each team had to, the Celtics had a couple of blowouts. But um, the first ever game seven of the, or not not the first ever, but the, uh, the it's got to be the first game seven that ever went into overtime, let alone double overtime, and still one of the select, you know, few that that's happened in. I would think you'd probably be right about that. So why don't we put that on our list of, of nominees and we'll go okay. we'll from there. Where did you go next? What was your next one? Well, so we should 60 did the same two teams again was another seven game series, which the Celtics won. But I think 1962 is sort of the next natural place when the first matchup of the Boston Celtics and the now Los Angeles Lakers. Obviously, they played a few times before, but between the last time they met in 59 and now in 62, the Lakers have gone out west. And the Hall of Famers in this one, Carl Braun for the Celtics, who actually spent most of his career with the Knicks and then signed with the Celtics for a year late in his career to try and win a championship, which he did. Bob Cousy, Tom Heinsohn, the Jones brothers are they're not actually brothers, but uh, are both on the team by this point. Casey Jones, Sam Jones, Frank Ramsey and Bill Russell. That is one, two, three, four, seven Hall of Famers on the Celtics Lakers with but two, but they're two really good ones. Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. Red Auerbach, as coach of the Celtics, is in the Hall of Fame, and two of the referees in that game, Earl Strom and Mendy Rudolph. So another Hall of Fame-packed NBA Finals. It's actually interesting, too. Earl Strom, he also he had a, an identical brother named Dave Strom, who was also an NBA official, who uh, at one point there was some controversy where one of them was supposed to be refing the game and the other one was there, and... Uh, Turned out there'd been some nefarious dealings and uh, they uh, one of them was suspended. But then. No, that that's all incorrect. <laughs> that is Earl. And I think I figured that would get cut out. So I was going to tell it, let you tell the whole story. That was Earl and Dave Hebner in WWF in early 1988. <laughs> something totally different. <laughs> this series, another seven game series, another overtime series, the Celtics win 110 to 107 in overtime in game seven. The Celtics have to win the last two, including game six in Los Angeles. The teams are still going back and forth for games five, six, and seven. So game four is in Boston. Game five, I'm sorry, game four is in LA. Game five is in Boston. Game six is in LA. Game seven is in Boston. They're still going back to back with only, for a lot of these, only a day off in between. So they play Saturday in Boston, Monday in LA, and then Wednesday back in Boston. That doesn't change until the late 80s. The mid 80s, I guess, would be a more like it. Game three, Jerry West has a game winning steal and layup to put the game, the Lakers up two to one in the series. Celtics tied in game four, but then in game five, the Lakers win 126 to 121 behind 61 points from the great Elgin Baylor. In game seven, The Lakers are, I want to get the exact sort of play-by-play here. They have a chance to take the lead on a wide-open shot by a a good Laker player by the name of Frank Selvey. And while you're doing that, it was funny when you mentioned the Keel Center. I was actually watching a a WCW pay-per-view from December of 90 last night, and it's from the Keel Center. And in the middle of it, they actually say, we understand this place is about to be torn down. And it was like, it was cl- only open another like three months and then they tore it down. So it was kind of interesting to see, to hear them talking about that. So in game seven, 
with a score tied at 100. The Celtics have the ball and they Frank Ramsey misses a driving hook shot. Lakers get the rebound and the Lakers uh, call timeout. They come out of it and Hot Rod Hunley passes the ball to Frank Selvey. Jerry West and Elgin Baylor are covered. Frank Selvey, who they say never misses, shoots a jump shot and he has a wide open shot, an eight footer, and it hit the rim and fell away. And that was the Lakers chance to win title and they blow their chance Celtics get the rebound game goes to overtime Celtics hold on to win 110 to 107 a few interesting notes for years hot rod Hundley would call the home of his teammate Frank Selvey the person he had passed the ball to and when Selvey would pick up Hundley would just say nice shot and then hang up which sounds like a very terrible thing to do to your teammate but so please The Lakers also have a player by the name of Ray Felix, who I guess is not a particularly well-informed individual because, and I read this in a couple of different books, at the end of the game, he's trying to cheer his teammates up by going around and patting them on the back and saying, don't worry, guys, we'll get them at the next game in a couple of days. And (laughs) (laughs) seemingly not real. Saving it all for game eight. (laughs) seemingly not realizing that the game is over and the series is over. So, but that, I think it's the first, is that the first Boston LA NBA finals? Cause I know they played them in 59, but the yeah. Celtics were still, the Lakers were still in LA or still in Minneapolis. Yep. Yeah. I, I had mentioned that a couple of minutes ago that uh, this was the first, certainly not the first Lakers Celtics matchup, but the first LA Lakers, Boston Celtics matchup. And there will be plenty uh, for, for for good measure. The second one was the next year. The third one was two years after that. The fourth one was the year after that. They just that was mostly what the rest of these were for quite a while there. Eight of my 10, all eight of my first. The, That's my, my first eight all had either the Lakers or the Celtics. Oh, I thought you were going to say eight of your 10 are Lakers Celtics. And I was like, That's absurd. No, I think. Four are Lakers. Four is a good number. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and some of them are, we'll get to in a minute, but some of them are losses by like losses by one of those teams too. So it's not just. No, no, no. That's reasonable. The eight of 10 like that. I honestly thought you were going to say eight of your 10 are Lakers Celtics finals. And I was going to say that's a little much. (laughs) No. And as I was doing my prep, I just, all I did was take all my books off the shelf that were Lakers Celtics books. And that got me Mm -hmm. most of the way there. Where do we want to go? What what was your next one? So the next two seven-game series are, again, these same two teams, uh, 66, the Celtics over the Lakers in seven games. This, I believe the Celtics are up three to one, and the Lakers then won games five and six before the Celtics won. And then 69, you had the Lakers and the Celtics again, where the Celtics uh, – Got the last one of kind of that era in a seven game series as well. Did you list either one of those on your list? I had both of them. So in 66, it's Red Auerbach's last year as the coach. He's already announced that he's going to retire and he's already named Bill Russell as his successor, the first black coach in NBA history who would later, a couple of years later, and we'll talk about this in a minute, becomes the first black coach or manager in any sport to win a championship in the United States. 1966, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different Celtic team. Kuzi, Sharman, Ramsey, 
Heinsohn, a lot of those guys, they've all retired. So we're down to just four Hall of Famers in 66 for Boston. John Havlicek, Casey Jones, Sam Jones, and Bill Russell. And then for the Lakers, it's Baylor West. And Gail Goodrich has joined the team by this point. Uh, then the same two referees, Rudolph and Strom. Lakers come back from down 18 to win in overtime in game one. They win 133 to 129 on the Boston Garden floor. Celtics win the next three, including two in L.A. So the Lakers are going back to Boston for game five on a Sunday. And, you know, this is the kind of thing where a team could lose. You know, you're down three one. You're, you're not on your home court, but the Lakers pull it out and then they win another one in game six. But then in game seven, the Celtics and I should note that the lowest score by any team in the first six games is one hundred and nine by I'm sorry, no, 106 by the Lakers in game number three. The scores for all of these are up into the teens and 20s, well over 100. Game seven in, at the Boston Garden is a very different game. It's only 95 to 93. Russell plays all 48 minutes. Baylor's hurt by this point. He's very much in decline. It's kind of become West's team. And the Celtics lead by 18 at half. At one point, they go eight and a half minutes without allowing a field goal by the Lakers, but the Lakers do battle back. They, they battle all the way back to make it a two point game and only win the Celtics only win 95 to 93, but great performances, a close seventh game, even if it wasn't that way for most of the game and our backs last game finals and championship as a coach. I thought that 65 really deserved to at least be on the list for consideration. 66. 66. You're right. I'm sorry. 1966. All right. And then how about 69? Same two teams, also a seven game series. Celtics in this one actually were down two to nothing, then three to two. This is actually the home team won every game in this series until game seven when the Celtics ended up with a 108 106 win uh, out in LA. Most of the games in this series were pretty close. You got a two game, a 2.6. 6, 1, 13, 9, and 2 in a game 7. This is one of the most talked about series, not only in the history of the Lakers-Celtics rivalry, not only it's sort of the, the Russell-Wilt rivalry. This is one of the quintessential games. The Lakers, because Baylor's getting old, because West needs some help, because they want to win a championship, have brought in Wilt Chamberlain. He gets traded from the Sixers to L.A. Wilt Chamberlain's career, and we haven't talked a lot about Wilt Chamberlain on this podcast, maybe a little bit when we did the Tom Gola episode, but Mm -hmm. Chamberlain's whole career consisted of going back and forth from Philadelphia to California. So he started with the Philadelphia Warriors, and he went out to San Francisco when the Warriors moved out there. Then he goes back to Philly to the 76ers and then ends his career out in L.A. with the Lakers. So he joins... West and Baylor, the Celtics, they're getting old. They still have Russell. They still have Sam Jones. Casey Jones is retired by this point, but they still have Havlicek. Havlicek plays well into the 70s. And Bailey Howell is their other Hall of Famer who was uh, sort of a longtime star with the Pistons and sort of like other guys earlier in the 60s and the 50s was one of these guys who would sign down with the Celtics to sort of try and win his championship. Again, Rudolph and Strom, the two referees, Hall of Famers, 
this is a series. The, the Celtics are coached by Russell in his last season. Everybody kind of thinks it's going to be his last season. The Celtics kind of limped in to the finals. I think they had finished something like fourth, I think. Let me let me pull up. What was the Celtics? Um, Celtics, I think, were fourth in the NBA, in the Eastern Conference in that year. Let me get the standings up here. They were fourth, yeah. And so they they beat the Philadelphia 76ers and then they beat the Knicks, the up and coming Knicks, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute in the finals. So they kind of limp in to the NBA finals against the Lakers. And like you said, it is a straight up home series for the first six games. The Celtics win in Boston and the Lakers win in Los Angeles. Sam Jones hits uh, the last great shot of his career in game five in Boston to send the series back to LA up three to two. We talked about that a little bit when we did our commemoration of Sam Jones for our in memoriam last year. Um, West is not in good shape. He plays game seven on a leg shot up with Novocaine. They go to LA, they go to play game seven and Jack Kent cook, who is the owner of the, Lakers had passed out. He hadn't personally passed out, but he had had passed out in the arena. These sheets of paper telling everybody that when the Lakers won the championship, there would be a drop of balloons from the rafters. They would interview Elgin Baylor, Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain in that order. (laughs) And I believe it's the USC band would play happy days or here again. Yep, that's what you got. Russell gets a hold of this and he goes to his team. Can keep in mind he's the coach and the leader on the court? This is not the days of nine assistant coaches either. It's just him and his guys, maybe a trainer or something like that. And he says, guys, wouldn't it be fun if they let out these balloons one at a time? And the Lakers get out. To, I'm sorry, the Celtics get out to a big lead. What was the score at halftime of this game? Let me Celtics lead 90 Celtics lead 91 to 76 after the third quarter, 59 to 46 at halftime. So they're sort of com- comfortably ahead for most of the game with about five minutes left in the game. Will Chamberlain com- takes himself out of the game. He kind of bangs him his knee grabbing a rebound and he sits on the bench while his backup center a guy by the name of Mel counts is in the game. Lakers cut it to win within one point. Chamberlain tries to go back in the game and the coach is a guy by the name of Butch Van Bredikoff. And he tells Chamberlain, no, we're playing better without you. And he refuses to put Chamberlain back in the game. There's this epic shot where the loose ball gets knocked to Don Nelson, who is somebody who you know everybody would know at later as a, a longtime coach in the NBA. I believe he was actually the winningest coach in the NBA up until very recently, which is odd. That sounds enough. right. Yeah. I think Popovich just passed him. He's the winning coach of all time, but he's got a losing record or something like that. It's, it, it's crazy. But so the ball goes to him at the foul line. And he shoots this shot from the foul line, hits the back rim and bounces up what they say is 15 feet. It's probably more like seven or eight feet 
he's here's what he says. He says it was the luckiest shot I ever made in my life. Chamberlain came out of the game. They started making this comeback. Havlicek makes a move. Somebody from behind hits the ball and it came right to me. I grabbed it. I shot it very poorly. It takes a crazy bounce and it goes in. I was in the paint right around the foul line. This puts the Celtics up by three. They hang on. West is so upset that he contemplates retiring. And he, by the way, had been very upset when he went out and saw the balloons at the beginning of the game. I think he he was not happy with Jack Kent Cook and, uh, you know, kind of knowing that, oh, the Celtics are going to see this, too. And this is probably not going to be great from a motivation standpoint. And he and Baylor are both so frustrated because they're the ones who've kept losing to the Celtics all these years and they can finally taste it. They finally maybe have what's definitely the better team and they don't want to do anything to tempt fate, but they do. Boston wins. Russell rides off into the sunset. It's probably the greatest non-Yankee dynasty in American sports history, American professional sports history from 57 to 69 you're making maybe montreal Let's see what Montreal. yeah maybe i mean as i was saying that i'm like i'm not sure but probably bob because they won what eight straight eight straight and yeah it's you have to put them second eight straight and ten and ten and what did he what did they russell won 11 and 13 they won eight straight and 11 and 13 that was what it was because they yeah. won one lost to the hawks won eight then there was a year they missed the finals. Then they won two more and Russell rides off into the sunset. So 1969, uh, another classic finals. Van Bredikoff gets the ax and something tells me that we don't have to go very far to talk about the next one that might be on the list. Yeah, enough of all that crap. Let's talk about some actual, you know, enough with the Lakers and the Celtics. All right. So 1970. The first modern NBA finals. <laughs> Fine. And this is the Knicks and the Lakers. The Knicks are back in the finals after their couple of game seven losses in the uh, early 50s. A uh, couple of finals losses. This is the, you want to talk about Hall of Famers. On the Lakers side, you got Baylor, Chamberlain, Jerry West, Holtzman for the Knicks as the coach. And then... Willis Reed, Bill Bradley, Dave the Busher, Walt Frazier, and Phil Jackson, who's really there as a uh, a he was barely even on this team. He was hurt the whole year, right? He was hurt the whole year. He did a lot of like photography, taking pictures and stuff. So the photography, um, <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, so the Knicks, you know, they've been. You mentioned the Celtics were able to hold them off in the Eastern Conference Finals the year before. The Knicks go into 1970 in as the. Um, they were the number one seed. They defeated uh, the Bullets in a the Baltimore Bullets in a seven game series in the first round. Uh, but Boston did not even make the playoffs, did they? Huh? No, I don't know who the coach was that year. I don't know if they went right to Heinsohn for the Celtics or whether there was somebody in between. And then on the other side, the Knicks beat Milwaukee. Uh, that was the Lou Alcindor Milwaukee Bucks uh, in the division finals to get to the NBA finals, where they meet the Los Angeles Lakers. That's an interesting series because that was it. Western Conference is interesting that year because two of the four teams are not teams that are traditionally in the Western Conference anymore, Atlanta and Chicago. Yeah. But, and the know, Bucks were in the East. And then a couple of years later, the Bucks are in the West. Yep. And eventually they go back to the East. Yep. 
So two teams who obviously the Lakers specifically think, okay, now the Celtics thing is finally done. It's really our turn. So they uh, first two games at the Garden, they split. The Knicks win from game one by 12. Lakers win the next game by two. They go out to LA. The Knicks win game three, 112-108 in OT. And then in game four, the Lakers win 121-115 in OT. So two straight overtime games in games three and four in LA. Game four has a moment that is something that you've seen, even if you don't realize when that is where the moment is from. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, not off the top of my head. Late in the game, Jerry West. Oh, that was, I, th- I, th- I was thinking it was this. but To but. tie the game, shoots it from the opposite three-point line, the opposite foul line, I should say. It goes all the way and swishes right in. And you, you hear the quote. They play, they, you hear the, the clip every year in the NBA Finals. They say, Jerry West just made it from the other end of the court. And it's, it's one of those moments, and they show him kind of looking up at the, at the scoreboard, would have won the game in modern times. It's funny to think, I mean, the, the, the Lakers pull that game out anyway, but it's funny to think if that had been a Nick win, how it could have been totally different. But you're right. They win game four, and then they have an 18-point lead in game five at the Garden, the Lakers do, and they blow that lead, and they blow that game. Yep, and that's um, game five is the game where Willis Reed is hurt mm-hmm. in game five at the Garden. The Knicks are down big. Game five is in and of itself a big comeback where the uh, Knicks, you know, after losing, losing Willis Reed, they're down. They come back. They end up winning. That's Walt Frazier. Obviously, he's got 21 and 12 in the game and assists. They go to game six out in L.A. Reed doesn't even travel with the team, I don't believe. The Knicks get their butts kicked. Will Chamberlain goes for 45 points and 27 rebounds. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers win 113 to one, or excuse me, 135 to 113. They were up 20 at the end of the first quarter. It never got any closer than that. Uh, really, the Knicks look outclassed. I mean, they had to have a furious comeback to win game five. They go out to LA and lose in game six. And that sets the stage for May 8th, 1970. Madison Square Garden, uh, two teams who'd much more so the Lakers, but since moving to Los Angeles, the Lakers have been in the finals damn near every year, coming out on the losing end to the Los Angeles or to the Boston Celtics. And it seems like it's going to be their year. But the big question going into the game is will Willis Reed play? Is Willis Reed going to be able to play in game seven for the Knicks? And it's that famous clip of, um, and you can, you hear it's Marv Albert who just retired last year and here comes Willis and the crowd is going crazy. And it's the Knicks and Lakers are both already out on the court. They're warming up and it's Willis just walking out sort of with his very kind of humble. He's limping obviously because he's hurt and he kind of wanders out. And the, the story that they tell is that the whole Laker team, most importantly, will stop and turn and watch Willis Reed warming up. He goes out for the jump ball. He doesn't even jump, doesn't contest it. But then on the first two Nick possessions, they get it to Willis. He hits two jump shots in a row. And there's again, your famous clip of Mark Willis is hit on his first two. 
and he plays decent enough different decent enough defense against Chamberlain. Willis does not score another point the rest of the game, but it catalyzes the Knicks. The Knicks never trail in the game. This is one of the all-time great finals performances by Clyde Frazier. People don't talk about it because it gets overshadowed by Willis. Clyde Frazier, 36 points, 19 assists, seven rebounds, five steals. So if you if you use sort of the hockey assist model, he was responsible for 74 of the Knicks 113 points. So just about exactly two-thirds. First Nick championship, a team that is, you know, historically loved by not just New Yorkers because it's the only championship or one of the only two championships we ever won, but also by basketball purists. It's just, it's one of those teams. They're like the steel curtain or the 85 bears. All you have to say is the Willis Reed Knicks, the Willis Reed game. And it conjures up something in not just New York, not just basketball, but in sports. Yeah. The series probably, if we're talking, you know, comparing it to some of these other years, probably will lose something when we make the list, given the nature of game seven. Yes, very dramatic at the beginning. The Knicks are up 27 at halftime. It doesn't really get closer than that at any point. That's also the most famous, and this is important in general. That's also the most widely regarded as the most famous moment in the history of Madison Square Garden. Anytime there's any kind of, uh, countdown or anything in general when it's made by the right people that's the number one moment and you know obviously there's other Knicks moments there's the Rangers winning the Stanley Cup in 1994 but Madison Square Garden is also where Ali Frazier won was if you're a wrestling person it's where Wrestlemania won was it's where Hulk Hogan won the WBF title it's where the concert for New York City was held after September 11th uh, political conventions. Yeah, it is. And most people can, and, and that it's gone now, or at least in the traditional sense, it's a little, it's a little sad, but Madison Square Garden very famously had what they called the, the short aisle and people would call it the Willis Reed aisle where both teams, rather than what you think of now, where both teams sort of go. And this is how the garden is at the moment after the renovations, you know, you each leave in opposite sides of the floor at halftime or at the end of the game, and you go up like the tunnel in the corner, both teams as recently as seven, eight years ago, you would just kind of curve behind where the scores table is. And they would both go up that short ramp into the locker rooms and then separate into their different locker rooms. That's the Willis Reed aisle. And it always has been. It's one of the most famous moments in the NBA finals, but it's also the most famous moment in New York's Knicks history. And it's the most famous moment in Madison Square Garden history. So very, very, uh, those are all very significant things. And when you see lists put together of greatest sporting moments of the 20th century, that's like the first, that's probably the first NBA moment that makes it on there. So when we did our 21st century sports moments, I read from those Bob Costas um, and Joe Garner books. And, you know, those moments are, you know, the ice bowl and Bobby Thompson's home run and Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis beating Max Schmeling and Dwight Clark making the catch. And the first NBA moment you usually see listed on those lists is that 
Willis Reed game. So it is in that pantheon of moments in sports. And of course, the fact that it was the Knicks and New York and everything helps. And yeah, you're right. Maybe not as classic a game as one of the, some of these others that we've talked about, but for all those other reasons, it it's earned a spot on there. All right. So the next couple of series we should mention, because they've been the heavy for all of these, the Lakers did finally get their championship next year, the next year or not. No, two years, two later, years later, not in the finals. We're really going to talk about it. wasn't exactly a classic series. They beat the Knicks. Then the next year, the Knicks returned the favor. The next seven game series is 74. Did you want to get into that one? I do have 74 on my list. That was the Celtics against the now Western conference representative the Milwaukee Bucks and I don't know when they moved from the east to the west and then eventually back to the east also just going back to 69 for a minute we should mention that 69 was the first year that they named an NBA finals MVP and it was also the only year that a losing player was named finals MVP and that was Jerry West so no wonder he wants to quit he, he wins MVP and he can't bring home a championship so 1974 Celtics and Bucks seven game series Hall of Famers for the Celtics Dave Cowens, John Havlicek, Paul Westfall, and JoJo White, and then for the Bucks it's Bobby Dandridge, Oscar Robertson who'd come over from years and years as a MVP with the Cincinnati Royals, and he comes over and tries to win a championship with the Bucks, which he does in '71. I think this is Oscar's last year actually in '74, and then a right young. Now. I'm sorry. I said that sounds right. And then a young Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who had won a title in 71 with the Bucks as Lou Alcindor. And then immediately, shortly thereafter, and it is Oscars last year, shortly thereafter, Kareem uh, converted to Islam and changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He might have actually already converted when he was in college, but he, ch- he officially changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Hall of Famer referees, uh, once again, Mendy Rudolph, and then also Daryl Garrettson, the other Hall of Famer referee. This is a different Celtic team. They're coached by Tommy Heinsohn, who had succeeded. I believe he'd succeeded Russell as the coach. I don't think there was anybody in in between the two of them. Two overtime games, both won by Milwaukee. Game two, they win in overtime, 105 to 96. And then game six, down three to two at the Boston Garden. The Bucks win 102 to 101 in the second overtime and they do so on a famous sky hook by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and it's a clip even if you don't know you've seen this clip it's sort of Kareem on the sideline shooting the sky hook oh I think it's over Dave Cowens and the ball goes in and that ties the series makes it three to three and the Bucks are going home they're going back to Milwaukee to try and close out the series on their home floor against a very, you know, demoralized Celtic team. Probably the big thing here is the the center matchup between two all-time great centers, Abdul-Jabbar and Cowens. And there's jokes about how, you know, Cowens is only tall enough to see Abdul-Jabbar's armpits, but he plays him well enough. And then he really does step up in game seven. Do you know who the lead broadcaster the lead play-by-play guy is for this series in 74 it's the only nba finals he ever does uh the way you said it is it a guy who's famous in another sport was it yes like it is gouty or something like that no 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 it's even more far afield than that i don't know pat summerall 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. He calls game six, the double overtime game, the greatest sporting event he's ever seen. And keep in mind, this was a guy who was part of the 1958 NFL title game. So a win for the Celtics, the first win in the post-Russell era. The, the leader of the team is really Dave Cowens. Other, you know, Havlicek is obviously an all-time great in his own right, but Cowens is the emotional and spiritual leader of the team. And he's so excited after the game that they win to win their first title, to win his first title. And this is how he tells the story. We were in Milwaukee and we came back after the game. When we got back, a crowd met us at the airport. By the time I got home, it had to be eight o'clock at night, which tells you how early this game was played. An NBA finals game that allows a guy to fly from Milwaukee to Boston, meet people, and then still be home by eight o'clock. My brother met me at the airport and we met, we went back to my place and just sat around talking. I was so hopped to hyped up. I had to go out. So I just went around and started visiting people that I knew all around the city. It got to be two, three o'clock in the morning. I just got tired. My car was with an eye shot, but I was in the garden. So I just went to sleep on one of the benches. <laughs> when I woke up, a lot of people were walking past me, sort of looking at me. I just had on a t-shirt and shorts. It was warm out and we had a parade to go to that day by around noontime. So, so excited that he sleeps on a park bench the day after there's the night of, I should say, winning the NBA finals, 1974 NBA final, a Celtic team that kind of gets forgotten about because there's the Koozie Russell years. Then after that, there's the bird parish McHale years. Those the seventies teams kind of get so much as any team that won championships in Boston can, they kind of get the short shrift a little bit, but I felt like the the presence of so many hall of famers and Epic game six Celtics Kareem, I felt like 74 deserved to be considered. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to think that like the 74 and 76 Celtics teams, like, you know, Oh, the Celtics in the seventies, like, well, that would be considered the best run. Any franchise, most franchises they've ever had. I mean, we talked very (laughs) glowingly about the Knicks, winning twice in four years and getting to a third one is clearly the, there's no debate on when the golden era of the Knicks franchise is. There's no debate on when a bunch of teams golden eras are that, you know, and that it's kind of like, ah, they overlooked that because they won two titles in, in a couple of years, but it's not like connected with any of the other major dynasties. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, I would, I would compare it to the late 70s Yankees. You really can't do that because nobody overlooks those late 70s Yankees because they were such a zoo, uh, literally the Bronx Zoo. Um, I guess not literally, but that's what they were called. So I can't, you know, but it's that kind of thing where it's like, well, it was only only incredibly privileged fan bases get to sort of go like, oh, that time we won two titles in three years is unheralded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So I had a little bit of a gap here. The one thing I did want to mention, we should mention 76. I know it's not a seven game series. I think I only have one that that I'm going to list or talk about that didn't go seven games. But um, my rule is sort of like I can't put a six game series on any kind of list, whether it's World Series, finals, anything, if it wasn't tied in two. So if it was three to one. And then a team won game five, and then the team that was up three to one won game six. A little bit different of a story. 76 to me, at least again, it's the Celtics, but it's the Suns. And I just, the reason I I don't think this would belong, probably even if it went seven games, but you know, you got to mention 
you got a game four where the and again the Suns, who are the Suns coming out of nowhere? They yeah, how many game, years have they even been in the league? Five or six? Probably. They win game four to tie the series 109-107. And then game five is that uh triple overtime game, June 4th, 1976, that is won by Boston in triple overtime. And then they go back to 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 Phoenix and win the next a couple of days later in game six and finish the series. But, you know, obviously two of the best six game NBA finals and including one we'll be talking about in a little while involve the Suns. And that game six is, or that game five, I should say, that's just a story in its own right. You know, buzzer beaters and guys fouling out and, you know, players who barely played all year playing major roles, fans coming on the court and going after the ref, going after the other players. You got the Celtics at one point calling a timeout that they know they don't have because they know under the rules at the time, they'll get the ball at half court instead of having to go full court. So just, just a crazy, crazy teams. And actually Paul Westfall, who'd been on the Celtics two years ago, had been traded to the Suns for Charlie Scott, who was now with Boston. So there's just all sorts of crazy stuff. That's another famous thing you hear is, Brent Musburger saying we got a third overtime in the Boston Garden. So, yeah, maybe not an all time great series, but maybe the greatest NBA game of all time in 1976. So your next one, you said you have a bit of a gap. I'm assuming you jumped over 78, the Bullets and the Sonics, which went seven. Yeah, that's the only world title in Bullets, now Wizards franchise history. That was the culmination of the career of Wes Unseld. Uh, they beat the Supersonics in seven and then lost to them the following year in 79 for uh, in a five-game series for the only championship ever for, for that franchise. I couldn't really get there with this one because there weren't any really great moments. It was obviously a very downtime for the NBA. Several of the games were there, I don't think there was there was one overtime game, but you had I guess every game was close, but there's there's not a sort of a there's not a singular moment. There's not a great story there. So I was tempted to give it a second or a third look just because we've done a lot of Lakers, a lot of Celtics, and we'll continue to do that. And, you know, you, you got, you know, superstars. Mm-hmm. I was tempted just for the sort of quirkiness of the inclusion but i i just couldn't get there with this one as far yeah. as a top 10 was concerned if it was top 12 maybe but i couldn't get there with top 10 yeah i think i agree with that it, it just doesn't have a whole lot of juice and if it was like a if it was an underrated classic series that just didn't involve two teams that people really you know remember that's a different story you'd almost be shoehorning that in if you were trying to put this on, put that on this list, you know what I mean? Agreed. So I'm guessing the next one you have is 84. 1984 burden magic coming into the league in 79 magic makes the finals in 80 makes the finals in 82. He makes the finals in 83. The Celtics make it under bird in, in, in 81. They hadn't met in the finals until 1984. And this is sort of the beginning of the golden age for the NBA. This is David Stern's first year as commissioner. And it's the first time you're getting the Lakers and the Celtics in the finals since 1969, that series that we talked about. 
you got all the Hall of Famers that you think you would, you would have for the Celtics. It's Larry Bird. It's Dennis Johnson, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Celtics, Kareem, Magic Johnson, Bob McAdoo, who'd been an MVP with the Buffalo Braves in the mid-70s as sort of a role player off the bench on this team. Jamal Wilkes and James Worthy. Both coaches are in the Hall of Fame. Pat Riley, obviously, and Casey Jones, who was in the Hall of Fame as a player, but is the coach of the Celtics. Then he got three referees, Daryl Garrettson, Hugh Evans, and Earl Strom, all in the Hall of Fame as well. The Lakers go up 2-1 on the Celtics. And it feels like it's slipping away from Boston. And I don't know, before I get to game four, I don't know if you had anything that you wanted to add about the sort of the, the story in general. No, I think you're setting the stage accurately. I mean, it's again, it's almost it's easy to sort of look back. And I will be honest, I'm very guilty of these all kind of blend together for me. 84, 85, 87. I kind of just go like, all right, like, but this is, you know, the, at the time, this is a new matchup. You know, this is the, they hadn't played in 15 years. It was totally different teams. They're, you know, they'd sort of circled each other the last few years. It's the two guys who played the national championship in 79, but it's also still, I guess by 84, would you have said it's, it's Magic's team? I think they're on the cusp. Yeah, because, I mean, there's no doubt 80 is still Kareem's team. And I don't think there's any doubt 82 is still Kareem's team, right? Yeah, and I think by this point, some of the guys, Norm Nixon, who he'd competed with for the point guard job in the early 80s, is gone. He forces out Paul Westhead in 81, 82. And, you know, Riley's the coach. I think if it's not Magic's team by this point, it's getting very, very close. Kareem is 37 years of age, I believe, in this finals. So, yeah, it's it's getting there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they, the Lakers win two of the first three. And Bird, um, after a game three loss where they lose by 33 points, 137 to 144, says, until we get our hearts where they belong, we're in trouble. We're a team that plays with heart and soul, and today the heart wasn't there. I can't believe a team like this would let L.A. come out and push us around like they did. We played like sissies. And so Celtics players, including Kevin McHale, they come into game four, and they basically say, we got to foul somebody hard. And they have the opportunity to do that. Uh, Kurt Rambis. Drives to the hoop in the third quarter with the Celtics trailing by six and Kevin McHale. (laughs) I don't even know what you want to call it. He basically just clotheslines him, makes no attempt to go for the ball, makes no attempt to do anything. He just clotheslines Kurt Rambis. And that's Wikipedia says the game was also marked by Celtic forward Kevin McHale's clothesline takedown of Lakers forward Kurt Rampus. So they don't they call it a clothesline. Celtics go on to win that game. They blow them out in game five. They win by 18 in the Boston Garden. And then they they lose game six and they come back and win game seven. It's also worth noting the Second game in Boston is an overtime game, 124 to 121. It's a Celtic win. 
the Lakers have a chance to win the game or at least get up a game-winning shot in game two in regulation, but Magic holds the ball and doesn't get a shot off. And so the Lakers theoretically could have gone up 3-0 if they Magic had gotten off a shot and they had won in game two. And so Celtics win game seven, Celtics win game six, or I'm sorry, Lakers win game six, Celtics win game five, Lakers win game six. They- Let's talk about game five, though, real quick. That was the game where, uh, like I we had talked about before, certainly the Celtics wouldn't do anything untoward. Uh, no air conditioning in the game. Uh, June 8th, 1984, uh, 97 degrees in the Boston Garden. A referee passed out. And Kareem's on the sideline sucking an oxygen tank. And this is also the last series of the 2-2-1-1-1 for 20 years. Uh, after 84, they went to 2-3-2. Two, two. That's more than 20 years. I mean, they, they just changed that back a few years ago, didn't they? 2014. So 30 years. 30, 30 years. Yeah, yeah, 30 years. Yeah. They win game five thanks to the conditions. And yeah, I, mean, I guess this is now. Now, you're right. The first four games home court don't doesn't really seem to mean anything but five and seven those two games at the boston garden in the sweltering heat they beat them the celtics beat the lakers the celtics sort of get their swagger back after that mikhail clothesline and they start with a lot of their trash talk and other dirty uh maybe not dirty but other sort of unsportsmanlike activities ml Carr comes out wearing goggles at the beginning of game seven to mock Kareem <laughs> late in the game. When James worthy misses a free throw, Cedric Maxwell, who ends up being the MVP of this series turns and makes the choke sign to worthy. And so this is the only seven game series. They play three times in the eighties in the NBA finals, Boston and the Lakers. But this is the only game, the only series that goes the seventh game indoor temperature for this one is around 91 degrees magic's devastated sort of like West in the sixties. Are we ever going to get past the Celtics? It's David Stern's first as commissioner. He brings the kind of bringing the league into what we would think of as the, the modern era. And this is the Celtics sort of making it seem like the Lakers are never going to be able to get past them no matter what they do. Yeah, it's interesting because by this point, the Lakers have won two titles in this era, but it was again, they were against the Sixers and then they lost one to the Sixers. So it's it's weird to think of at that point, like that it would be anything but a stalemate because they've each won twice. But you start to dip into the history of, well, the Celtics, when the chips are down, the Celtics, the Lakers can't beat the Celtics in a championship series. Through 86, 85, 86, probably through 86. Magic and Bird are even. They're even in a number of championships, but they're also just even in who's had the better career. Magic, uh, Bird wins three title, three MVPs in a row, 84, 85, 86. 86 Celtics considered sort of one of the best teams, single season teams in NBA history. It's after 86. Bird's injuries start to creep in. Magic comes into his own. By, by 87, it's really Magic's team. The reason why Magic is considered a better player all time is what happens in the late 80s and early 90s. 85, 86 time period, people thought they were at best even and maybe Bird a little better. And that's not that's not 
sort of that's not hyperbole. Bird was just as good, if not better than Magic through 86. But then Bird kind of falls off a cliff and Magic is a top player in the league up until he's sidelined by HIV. So little, yeah, so it's a little diversion into the Magic Bird yeah. conversation there. Yeah, because I mean, Magic's career was cut short, but Bird's career was really cut short in terms of his prime, at least. Um, yeah. So, you know, interestingly, like you said, interesting that neither of the next two, 85, the Celtics win. Both of the Lakers wins in 85 and 87 are in six. The Celtics over the Rockets is six in 86. So the next one I'm guessing is 88 we're going to go to. I do have 88. That now, is how we get to some basketball. <laughs> this is how you play basketball. Enough of this. Oh, you pass the ball and you shoot the ball. And whatever. This is how you play basketball. You punch people. <laughs> 88. The Detroit... here is probably the purest basketball player who's ever lived. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just so funny with him. Cause he, he's the last guy in the world you would expect to be a dirty player. Like, you know, he's not like some guy who grew up hard or, you know, he, he grew up in Chicago, but in like, like the really nice part of Chicago, I think his father was a dentist or something like that. He grew up rich and I think went to prep school. And, but for whatever reason, these don't lend themselves to being a dirty (laughs) player. Have you seen Grayson Allen or a lot of guys who come out of Duke? No, but Lambeer was a tough guy, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grayson Allen is just, I don't know a lot about Grayson Allen, but Grayson Allen's just sort of a, you know, whatever you want to call him. But he's a he's a Bush League player. Lambeer was just a guy who wanted to fight. And he would he would do Bush League things like he would a guy would be trying to put, post up on him and Lambeer would push down on his pressure point on the back of his leg or on the back mm-hmm. of his neck. He just, you know, mean stuff. This is. So this, the Pistons in 88 finally get past the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. They go to their first NBA Finals. Another quick look at the Hall of Famers. Both coaches, Daly and Riley, are in the Hall of Fame. Lakers only three at this point. McAdoo's gone. Wilkes is gone. It's just Kareem, Magic, and Worthy. For the Pistons, it's actually four. It's Dumar, Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Rodman, and Adrian Dantley, who is not on the team the next couple of years when they're winning championships, but is on the team in 88. And then for those keeping score, Earl Strom, Daryl Garrettson, and Hugh Evans, referee, who's actually just going into the Hall of Fame this year. So congratulations to Hugh Evans. And, and by the way, if you'd like to hear more about Adrian Dantley, listen to our episode on the 1981-1982 Utah Jazz that we did a few weeks ago, because that's there's a lot of Adrian Dantley in that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Seven-game series. the. Pistons are still playing at the Silver Dome at this point. By the following year, they're at the Palace at Auburn Hills, but in '88, they're still at the Silver Dome. Yep, yeah, they had. Uh, that was they were playing in like a scaled down version. And I, I always remember when I was a kid, we had the video, the NBA Superstars video. Mm-hmm. And there's, I remember being confused by that because one of the things they had like an Isaiah Thomas highlight, and it's like he's clearly playing in like not a basketball arena and there's like this big curtain behind him. And I'm like, where is this? And then as I got older, I learned, no, that's when they played at the silver dome. Yeah. Like I said, one one of these days I want to do an episode about teams playing in weird Mm -hmm. locales. What, what hockey team is it? That's playing in like a 5,000 seat arena. The next couple is it Phoenix next year, the Phoenix, the Arizona coyotes are going to be playing in Arizona state's hockey building. Which, as you can imagine, you know, there are some big college hockey areas 
Arizona is, is understandably not one of them. And as so, somebody who went to school at one of the biggest college hockey schools, let me tell you, their arena is a very nice arena. It ain't no NHL arena by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. So mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what Arizona's like. But anyway, 88, Lakers are kind of starting to get to a place where they're getting a little older. Magic's been there. Magic's and what would this be? Magic's ninth season. Kareem is over 40 years of age at this point. He's in his second to last season. And so they really are sort of starting to run on fumes just a little bit. And I just want to give a quote here. Pat Riley in 1988 said, we were a great team trying to hold on. So they're just trying to hold on for another championship. And they really, they want two. They want a three-peat. But 88, uh, they do do it. Isaiah is incredibly banged up. He can barely walk in by the time game seven rolls around. But he puts on a very gutsy performance. Comes up just short. I believe the final score is game seven is only a one-point game, if I remember correctly. No, no, game... Where's I'm sorry, I went ahead one one year somehow. Game six is a one point game. That's the game where the Lakers win 103, 102. Okay, that's right. That's right. Isaiah is hurt. He hits the bay, he gets he ends up with 43 points. Lakers win game seven by three points. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So a team is up three to two, going back, they're going back on the road. Lakers introduced incidentally haven't won a game seven in an NBA Finals since 1954 because they'd lost all those years to Boston. And they so they win game six by one point. They win game seven by three points. So four points away from a championship. And sort of the last win for the Magic Kareem Lakers, they get swept by Detroit the following year in a, in a totally different kind of series. And last title for the Lakers, last title for Kareem and Magic, and a a and a gutsy performance by Isaiah in on one leg. Yeah, so th- there's a there's actually a thirty for thirty on the Bad Boy Pistons, and I and I. I think 30 for 30s are at their best when they're talking about things that haven't been extensively covered, but that people are generally aware of. So they're not super obscure, but they're not, you know, with all due respect, there's been tons of like, we don't need a 30. I'll use a team. I'm a fan of to be specific. We don't need a 30 for 30 on the Bronx zoo Yankees. There's been enough about that. You know what I mean? Unless, unless you're going to have some sort of like really new take on it. So the bad boy Pistons is really interesting because they talk about how it's sort of, it's not a dynasty, but it's like this three year run in between the Lakers Celtics and the bulls eras. And they talk about that finals and Isaiah really, taking his place in the absolute upper echelon of the NBA. And he didn't stay there very long, but certainly 88, the 88 finals, even though they ultimately end up losing, he cemented himself as one of those guys at that point. And not to make this about what we experienced personally with Isaiah, but it's easy to think of Isaiah as a, clown 
based on some of his front office antics in later years. But you realize that guy was a damn good player. He wasn't Bird. He wasn't Magic. He certainly wasn't Jordan. And sometimes he likes to put himself in that class. But guy won titles. Guy led his team in some really tough games. So he deserves a lot of the accolades that he gets as a player. Exactly. I don't have another one for 15 years. No, wait, hold on. That's wrong. I don't have another one for 25 years. So if I agree with any of that, we're going to have to talk about some of these here. So 93 Suns Laker or Suns Bulls. It's not a seven game series, but again, it's a phenomenal series. It's the Bulls going for a three peat. It's the Suns, their first year with Charles Barkley. He's the MVP of the league. The, Bulls win games one and two in Phoenix. There's the very famous clip of, I don't know if it's very famous. It's very famous in my apartment um, of Bob Costas. They, when they come, basically when they come back for game six, they cut to a clip of the week before, before game two, where Bob Costas says to put it frankly, or to put it bluntly, if the Suns don't find a way to win tonight, it's very hard to imagine we'll be back here one week from tonight in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They go to they go to Chicago with the Bulls. They're the two-time defending champions. They're two wins from a championship. The Suns win game three, 129-121 in triple overtime to avoid going down 3 nothing in the series. Suns are the only team to inv- be involved in two triple overtime games in the NBA Finals, the only franchise. And Paul Westfall played a key role in both because he's coaching the Bulls by this. I'm sorry, he's coaching the Suns by this point. The B- Bulls win game four. Before game five, Barkley says, we need to win to save the city a reference to the anticipated riots if Chicago won the uh, won the championship that night. And that so, was like a weird thing that happened a lot in that time period. It happened in Toronto or Detroit or something when the hockey team won it. That was like a huge thing in Dallas, I think, too. For whatever reason, that was like a big thing in the 90s when they would just riot when the team won the championship. But that doesn't really happen anymore. And it never really happened before, like 1991. But for like three or four years, it was like, Let's burn down the city because we won a championship. I mean, there's levels to what you'd consider a riot. Those ones were all certainly the worst. I've seen, you know, excessive partying to the point of damage to public buildings and stuff in some of these cities in the last several years when championships were won. Not to pin it on Philly, but the, the Eagles, the city of Philadelphia was got a lot of attention for during that playoff run when the Eagles won that championship a few years ago of greasing all the poles in the city so that people couldn't climb up the municipal poles. Um, yeah, and guys were eating horse shit and everything, literally. But that was more, like... You, yeah, that, but, but no, no, and I'm, I'm not... The ones in the 90s were a lot worse. This is like something you'd see as like a protest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except uh, what they're protesting is their team won the championship. Yep. So the Bulls or the Suns do manage to win game five, uh, 108 to 98. So they, against all odds, have taken the last two games, uh, two of three in Chicago. Was game five the last game ever at Chicago Stadium? Um, no, they played the next year. They played Chicago. the following year, 93, 94. They played 90, there. 93, 94 at the, the Madhouse on Madison. Game six back in, in Phoenix. This is one of the first games I ever remember watching live. I remember um, this game. And this was... Uh, at the very end, John Paxson hits the uh, game-winning three-point field goal to give the uh, 
the Suns or to give the Bulls the win in six games, three straight championships. I think the thing you have to realize is that Barkley was languishing in Philly. Mm-hmm. He gets drafted the same year Jordan gets drafted. His first couple of years, he's got Moses, he's got Doc, he's got Cheeks. They're good for most of the 80s, and they're not bad into the 90s. I remember them playing some good games against the Knicks, but by like 92, they're not a good team. He's kind of sour. He's gotten fatter. He's had some off-the-court issues, getting in fights and stuff, and he goes to Phoenix, and he's rejuvenated. He's the MVP. I mean, he's not Jordan, and nobody's Jordan, but he's not. if he's not the best player in the league that year, he's at least the second best to Jordan. So... Yeah, if this series goes seven, if Paxson misses that shot, even if the Bulls win by 40, I feel like it still probably maybe gets onto the list. But as a six-game series, it's kind of eh, it's hard to make that push. And you do not have 94 with the Knicks and the Rockets? I couldn't do it. Maybe it was just because the Knicks lost. But that also was not a great, series from a basketball point of view and i'm not saying they all I don't know. Have can we really get into that can we can we really say if because it was a low scoring game six was decided by two points game seven was decided by six points every game was decided in single digits can we really because it was scores in the 80s and and i don't know i mean I'm not necessarily saying it would go in the top 10 when this is all said and done, but you've not glossed over too many seven game series here. Are are we really going to say it wasn't a thing of beauty since like aesthetically it wasn't. No, I haven't glossed over many seven games, but there haven't been that many either. I, since 57, I think I might've left out one of the Lakers Celtics. And then I left out 78 with the bullets. I, I don't discount this series. I just, there's no overtime games. There's no sort of memorable moment. I guess the Akeem block on Starks in game six is maybe the, the big moment. What, what do you consider the memorable moment? I don't, I know you get tired of this, but we literally just talked about the most famous moment in Nick's history being a guy walking onto the court. If you cannot with a straight face say there was not a memorable moment in the 1994 NBA playoffs, in the 1994 NBA finals. What was it? Game five. Oh, the OJ stuff? The whole the whole thing, yeah. Oh, but that's not basketball, though. I don't... That... So, so then Willis Reed doesn't count. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Something happening during a game is not the same as a player playing through injury. But it, 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 listen, I'm not saying this would be on my top 10. Certainly, you know, we have to get every Lakers-Celtics series in there. <laughs> I just think it's a little too hand-wavy to say, oh, it doesn't matter because there were scores in the 70s and 80s. Every game was close to a certain extent. There's a lot of drama to it. You know, the Knicks second best player had one of the worst games of all time in game seven. The Knicks still almost won that game. It didn't feel like they were ever going to win the game, but they still did almost win the game. Game six, the Knicks were about to theoretically win a championship on a shot that got blocked. Yeah. Well, that was what I said. That's the one sort of moment is Akeem blocking Starks in game six. So I'm putting it on the list for now. I don't know if it's going to end up in the top 10, but I'm putting it on the list. Okay. So none of the next few. I can't get there with 98 because of the rule I said, which was I can't get there. The Bulls were up three games to one. 
including a game where Utah scored 54 points. That's right. Um, that's right. You know, obviously you have the famous moment in game six with the Jordan shot against Byron Russell. I've seen professional wrestling more competently officiated. Uh, truthfully, game f- the series the year before would be the one with the bigger claim because it was the series was tied at two. The Bulls won game five by two and then game six by four. But I, I can't get there with either of them because by then, I don't know, it, it still didn't feel like the Jazz were ever certainly not at any point in 98. And I don't even think at 2-2 in 97, it felt like they were going to win the series. You go on a run here where you can in good conscience count any of these because they were after Jordan retires, you enter the era basically of Western Conference. It was just a coronation every year between the Spurs and the Lakers. I think if if we were talking about most memorable but now most like the 04 NBA finals is is actually a good episode because that's in real time you were watching basically a dynasty collapse and this was supposed to be a dynasty that had just reloaded with two Hall of Famers and they're playing a Celtics team or a uh, Pistons team that is bringing this totally different like energy with these five players and you got Chauncey Billups you know, who'd been sort of a cast off a few years earlier, having this amazing series and Rashid Wallace, who was considered the biggest malcontent in the world. And me, Kobe hits that shot in game two. And you think, all right, the Lakers have dodged a bullet and then they don't win another game. And the whole thing is imploding, but it's not a great series. No. And the whole, it's it's interesting just a, series. And it's, you thinking you got just the whole Shaq Kobe thing. And then I, I don't even think Kobe's rape charges had been dropped by that point. I think he was still in the middle of that, court proceeding Mm -hmm. i know earlier in the playoffs he definitely was but i think even then i don't think the charges had been dropped yet so yeah you're right story certainly i can't get there i feel like based on what it is and who it is and knowing your affinity that you're going to look at this 05 this next year and make a strong case for it to be honest no and this is this this is the spurs beating the pistons in game seven the thing I remember most about this series was the fact that everybody just kind of already knew that Larry Brown was out the door for whatever reasons he'd invented in his own head. But meanwhile, he's coaching this team in the finals. And here's why I don't. Game one is a 15 point game. Game two is a 21 point game. Game three is a 17 point game. Game four is a 31 point game. So the, all of the home team has won the first four games. Huge. Game five, okay, you get an overtime game, one-point decision, San Antonio wins. Detroit wins game six, and then you get game seven. The one thing about game five is it's sort of the game that cements the legacy of Robert Ori because he had done it a little bit in Houston. Mm. He'd done it in L.A., and now he's hitting a big shot in the NBA Finals for the Spurs. So if you want to point to something, if, if, if a moment ever gets talked about in that series, it's the Robert Ori shot in game five, but... All right, yeah, I, I didn't think you could go there, but I, I'm, I'm in agreement. Yeah, knowing your proclivities, are you going to try to give me five years later? 2010 with the Celtics and the Lakers. Yeah, you know that was one of them that I kind of thought about because it was a seven game series, but that kind of to me falls into some of the same. I mean, 
game six, the Lakers beat the Celtics 89 to 67. I don't want to come across like I'm just looking at the scores and thinking, well, if it's too low of a score or too wide of a margin, but we don't want to have anti-recency bias either. No, but I just, I don't know. I don't have a lot of like, I just, what's the moment from that series that gets talked about game seven was a hell of a game. And in fact, the, I remember watching, we watched game seven together. It was when we were living together in Alexandria. And the thing I remember most about that game is that Kobe was awful. That's right. Yep. Yep. And I think he ended up being like six for 24. He should not have been the MVP of that series. I don't remember who and who I thought it should be, but even that night when they am, they named him the MVP, I said, how can you name a guy an MVP who went six for 24 in the clinching game? And, the thing I remember the most about that game is our test is with the Lakers by this point. And he's been playing so horribly. Isn't this the game where they they um they pass it to our test and he's behind the line and you can hear all the Laker fans in the <laughs> in the stadium like they're like trying to like ward off a tragedy. It's like no, no, they don't want him to shoot again. Then he shoots and makes it. I am and I'm going to look this up while we're doing this. I am 95% sure that that was this game. Yeah, and this this is also a game that Celtics fans complain a lot about. Well, this is a game. The uh, free throw disparity was 37 to 17. The Lakers shot 37 free throws to the Celtics 17. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't get there with this one. I couldn't. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm... I don't know that I have a good enough reason to not get there, but I think you're right. Truthfully, if you ask me, and I have a feeling you're going to give me, you're not going to agree with this. The next year's series was a much better series, both in terms of drama and close games. And yes, it only went six games, but that was a loaded series in terms of intrigue. When Dallas beat the Heat. Yep. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I have fond memories of that series. I I enjoyed watching that series very much. I just, you know, it was not in my top 10, but I thought it was a good series. There've been a sort of a real lack of seven game series over the last 15 or so years. So that's, it's not recency bias so much as just there haven't been that many. All right. So now we're moving on and we're probably only talking about two more, right? I would think. Um, Yeah. 2013, the Spurs and the Heat. This is again, this is this is what LeBron's third year with the Heat. This is the uh Ray Allen, the Ray Allen shot in what was that game six that kept them alive? Is that what that was, right? Yeah, the game um, is in Miami. People are already starting to leave because they think the Spurs are gonna win the game and go on and win game six and go on to win it. Spurs are up five with 28 seconds left. And they're already starting to get the trophy ready. LeBron misses a three. The Heat keep possession. Mike Miller gets a hold of the ball, passes it to LeBron. Heat down two. They foul Kawhi. Kawhi misses two free throws. Or he misses one of the two free throws, I should say. Three-point game. LeBron misses a three. Bosch gets the rebound, passes it to Ray Allen, who step backs and makes a three and they tie the game. Spurs have no timeouts and they, they get a timeout, I guess, because of the the review, but they go to the overtime and then the heat, they it, it's close in overtime, but the heat pulls it out one Oh three to 
100 and then they go back they're they're still in Miami. They're in Miami for six and seven because again, this is they still at this point have not changed. Last, last year of it. This is the last year, but I think maybe they changed it when they realized that Miami was closer to San Antonio than it was to any of the teams they played in the fight in the playoffs all year. So. Yeah, well, I think it was obviously that was put in place because the Lakers and the Celtics, and that was the eighties. They were still flying commercial, but yeah, especially when you consider a flight where you can fly over the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, like. This was Miami just kept being in the finals. They kept playing teams. This is their third straight finals, and they played um, two teams from Texas and a team from Oklahoma City. Like, these are not long flights, especially yeah. like over the water. And everybody's flying charter flights anyway. So, I think the right move one, they probably should have made four or five years earlier. But um, I think the other thing that's important this series to remember is it kind of changes the complexion of how that heat era was looked at at least through those three years yeah they had won the year before uh against oklahoma city but i mentioned that 2011 series and sort of how much people looked at that as a huge like laugher you know the heat came into that with sort of the perception of like how are they possibly not going to win three or four straight titles well they said it too didn't yeah, was it lebron yeah. not one not two and that first year, they were the bad guys. And they lost to the, the Mavericks, and everybody was happy. Everybody, you know, was talking about – everybody was really, like, happy for Dirk Nowitzki. They win the next year, and then they're playing the Spurs, and it was like, oh, now they're playing a real dynasty. You know, the Spurs team that's been around for 15 years. And had they lost again then? I think it would have been like, well, this team is through three years. They've lost twice in the finals. They've lost to two different teams. They should have beaten because they should beat everybody. Yeah. LeBron got the one, but whatever. And then when they won that one, it was like, okay, he's now one back to back. LeBron and beaten it. How many did Duncan have by that point? Three. Well, they won no four. Cause they won one more. So 99, 03, 07. Yeah. And then they won the fourth five. Oh, in 05. Yeah, the one we just talking about. So starting in 03, that was Parker, Ginobili, Duncan. So that was a team mm-hmm. that had won. The team they beat the year before, first of all, that that Oklahoma City team, the following year, Harden's gone. So mm-hmm. that's a team that's only really around for one year in that form, at least. I know this really shouldn't make a big deal, but it was a shorter season because there'd been a lockout. You're right. It, just, it didn't feel real. It was like, if this is LeBron's only championship with the Heat, it's not going to mean that much. So, and then he, they, Allen hits that shot. They win Game Six, and then LeBron scores thirty-seven points in Game Seven. Game Seven, interesting. Bosch and Ray Allen both scoreless in Game Seven, and in addition to Wade and James, they're led by Shane Battier, who hits six three-pointers <laughs> to score eighteen points. And the, it's another close game. It's a seven-point game. But uh, the Spurs are down only by three with less than a minute left. So they have a chance. LeBron ties Heinsohn, Tom Heinsohn's 1957 record for most points in a game seven NBA finals win. So, yeah, that 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 game six is considered one of the great NBA finals games of the 21st century. Really one of the great ones of all time. And then that team is considered a, a mini dynasty because they're able to win that championship. Uh, I think we, you said that you had one more. I assume we're, I assume we're going to go to the same place with this, but why don't you do the honors? Yep. And this one will end up 
very high on the list. This is the 2016 NBA Finals. So play it forward a little. LeBron goes back to the finals another year uh, with Miami. They lose to the Heat this time, or they lose to the Spurs, rather. It's sort of the clearly the end of that whole thing. They're outclassed by the Spurs. LeBron pretty shortly thereafter announces that he's going to be leaving. Riley makes some comments. LeBron goes back to Cleveland. Because if there's anybody who would know you should never abandon a team, it's Pat Riley. Yeah. LeBron goes back to Cleveland the next year. You know, Cleveland had been since he was gone. He's with four straight finals with the Heat. You know, they had drafted Kyrie Irving and they had uh, shown a few heartbeats, but they were mostly terrible. LeBron gets the hero's welcome, kind of says like, hey, this is going to take a while. Remarkably gets them into the finals his first year and has them up two to one in 2015. But Kevin Love had gotten hurt in the first round of the playoffs. Kyrie Irving gets hurt and it's just too much for LeBron to do in one by himself in that series. They lose to the Warriors who win their first championship in 40 years or whatever. Yeah, that team in in the first finals year in 15, that was like Matthew Belt, Della Vadova. That was not he's a big part of the next team, too. But he's just I'm saying LeBron's out there with nobody in that finals. Oh, yeah. 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 So you go into 2016 and the Warriors go on this insane run. They're the defending NBA champions. They go on this run for most of the first half of the year without their head coach because Steve Kerr is uh it's his back issue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't like, yeah. So Golden State ends up 73 and nine. They're the, uh, they break the record for the best single season record of all time. They break the 96 Bulls record. And I think most people are expecting, okay, this is probably going to be a little bit more of the same. LeBron's now in his sixth straight NBA finals across two teams. The other thing that's worth noting, I think, is that they fire the coach mid-year. Right. They fired David Blatt, who had taken the finals the year before and was a guy who kind of had come out of nowhere. And I mean, he's been around. He's been back and forth from, I think, to Europe. And then he's, he's, he's coached in the NBA some over the last six or seven years since they let him go. I, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember where. They bring in Tyrone Liu who I remember making this comment and it was only half a joke at the time. If you had told me in 2016 that Tyrone Liu was still in the league, I would have believed you. <laughs> he just seemed like one of these guys who was just around all the time. So they're going in with a different, you know, it's the same team, but, and is this one of the years, does LeBron, is this one of the years where LeBron kind of like takes some time off mid season to recharge his battery? It might be. I don't know. How many, let me just look that up real quick. How many, um, where's LeBron's stats here? How many LeBron in 2015, 2016, how many games does LeBron play? Oh, he plays 76 games. I think it was actually might've been the year before that he did that. A couple of times I remember him just like, you know, taking a week or two, maybe it was this year, but anyway, so, yeah. so he's still kind of carrying this team. So the Warriors just, destroy the Cavs in the first two games in Oakland uh, by 15 and then by 33. And it is not looking like a series that's going to go very long. Uh, the Cavs do get a, they get a blowout uh, in game three back in Cleveland. And the other so thing like, too, is that love is hurt. Love doesn't play in game three. Kevin love is out with a concussion in game three. So they're really up against it. 
So they win. They go to game four. I actually remember I was in New York City watching this with friends of mine at a bar. It's a Friday night. The Warriors win 108 to 97. But the most important part of this game was towards the end of the game, Draymond Green and LeBron James get into a scuffle. As Green is on the ground, LeBron goes to sort of step over him and Draymond Green essentially punches him in the crotch. So the Warriors win. They're still up three to one. They're going back to Oakland for game five because now we're back into the 2-2-1-1-1 format. Draymond Green is suspended for the game because he had accumulated his fourth flagrant foul of the playoffs. First player suspended from playing in the final since Jerry Stackhouse in 2006. I guess I didn't realize that. Do you remember what Draymond Green did that night? He was in a luxury box at the A's game next door. Oh, my God. Watching the game on – because he obviously couldn't be in the stadium. Like, when you're – I think when you're not even allowed to be in the – like The building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I, that must be, I do remember one time Joe Torre in the Yankees luxury box one game when, the, when he had gotten suspended for a game, but probably different rules for that. This game is they're in Oakland. Cleveland wins 112 to 97. LeBron and Kyrie Irving each scored 41 points. They were the first teammates to go for 40 each in a game. They get the win. Andrew Bogut is injured in the game. Um, so he's out the rest of the series. Cleveland stays alive. They go back to Cleveland for game six and the Warriors or the Cavs win 115, 101. Um, the Cavs got up big early and mostly held on to that. And LeBron scored 40 again. First player to have consecutive 40 point games since Shaq in 2000. And that sets the stage for game seven. June 19th, 2016, one of the most memorable games in recent history at the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, Cavs have won two in a row. Warriors coming, you know, the greatest regular season of all time. Doesn't mean as much if they don't win this game. Uh, Warriors play most of it from ahead. There is the very famous play of LeBron chasing down from the other end of the court, what Andre Iguodala is going to go for a layup, scores tied at 89. LeBron runs from the opposite end of the court, closes in on Iguodala, and delivers the block, which is followed immediately by Kyrie Irving hitting a three to give the Cavs a three-point lead with just under a minute left. There's a book by two gentlemen here, uh, Brian Windhorst, who's a ESPN. I don't know if he's still with ESPN, but he was with ESPN for a long time. He covered the NBA, mostly covered LeBron for most of LeBron's career. And then a co-author by the name of Dave McMenamin, who's also been an NBA writer for a long time. They wrote this book called return of the King, which is about exactly what it sounds like. It's about LeBron's return to Cleveland and subsequent championship. Incidentally, this guy, Dave McMenamin, he was the ghost writer for Gilbert Arenas's blog. So I bet he had some interesting stories to tell, but anyway, they talk about how the, the, the last chapter of this book is called the block, the shot, the stop. And it's all three of the Cavs' big three shining in this last minute of this game seven. So they get the block that Andrew talked about, LeBron on Iguodala. And I still remember watching this because it was just like, where did he come from? And this block blocks him off the backboard, and it's just crazy. Then they come down. Irving hits the shot. 
to go up 92 to 89. And then what they talk about in the, um, the, the third thing is that they've got love guarding Steph Curry and love gets his hand in Curry's face and Curry shoots a three, but it doesn't go in and it misses off the rim. And then the Cavs have the ball and, you know, then you're, you're playing the, the fouling game and everything. Well, and there, there is one more aspect to that though. So they get the stop. They're up three points. LeBron, there's a fast break. And LeBron, you know, could probably dribble and get fouled, but he's going to try to put the game away with a dunk. He gets fouled, lands hard on his wrist, is visibly in a lot of pain. He's got to get up and make at least one of these free throws to ice the game or to put the game as a two possession game. And keep in mind, too, you're playing a team with Curry and Thompson who can hit threes from anywhere on the court. So, yeah, going up four is a big deal. Fouled, of course, by Draymond Green. He makes one of them. I believe he missed the first one and then made the second one. And then, you know, down four, the Cavs are struggling. To, or the Warriors are struggling to get a shot off, but wouldn't have mattered anyway because it's a four-point game. The clock runs out, and the Cleveland Cavaliers have their first NBA championship, first championship for Cleveland since 1965 after many, many close calls over the years. Uh, or was it 64? 64, right? 64 with Jim 64. Brown, yeah. Yeah. Um, after many, many close calls over the years in various sports and, you know, you get the thing of LeBron collapsing to the ground because he's, you know, he won the two, but he came back and, and delivered it for good measure. They get back the next two years and those two finals are as one sided as as it was anticipated to be. The, the, the second one, the, the 2018 one, especially as Murphy, like this is the one where J.R. Smith didn't know what the score was. And, and, yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, so that's, you know, and then. Just since then, we had those two Cavs Warriors ones. Then you had the Warriors over the Raptors, which was also a big upset, but doesn't rank as one of the best of all time. And then since then, we had the weird bubble finals with the Lakers and the Heat. And then last last year, we had uh, the Bucks over the Suns. And that 2021 would have had to have been really epic, played in an empty building. That would have <laughs> been that would have had to have been. I don't know what, but it wasn't. <laughs> incidentally, we should 2016 would be a good episode, a good year to do an episode on at some point because you have that finals, you have that crazy Cubs World Series. If you look in 2016 season, you got the Giants were actually good for the first time in 10, the only time in 10 years. <laughs> but that's the year the Patriots make the 28 to 3 comeback against Atlanta in the Super Bowl. Okay. And then yeah. I'm sure with 20, with it being 2016, I'm sure you got some Olympic stories in there. Phelps was still around, I think. And so anyway, something to keep in mind, maybe in 2026, we'll do a, a 10 year retrospective on 2016. So you were on board with all of my 10 and then you wanted to add the 94 Knicks rockets. I'm not sure which of Well, the... if I had to choose between that and 93, I'd put the Suns. Well, I don't know. Okay. I mean, we can go with your 10. We just, I might have to. Do you have an order for them? I did not have an order. I just listed 10. All right. Let's just keep your 10. And I don't know. We need to go one through 10, or do you want to just go one through five? Let's go. Let's do one through five. What's the best NBA finals of all time to you? So ones that are in contention based on what you said, 26, well, I mean, based on what we've talked about, 2016 is in contention. 
I have a tough time quantifying the older ones. So I think 57 probably belongs up there with Epic mm. Games. Okay. I mean, yeah, I guess it's I guess it's hard at this point. 84, yeah, just because of who it was. 88? Not as much with 88. Mm-hmm. 13 probably could be on there. Adam, this might be a little bit too hard to do. You warned it at the end of a two-hour episode. What um, do you think is the best ever? Again, I, just, I don't know that I have enough perspective. Of the ones in my lifetime that I remember, so really, I mean, I guess I could say my lifetime taking 88 out of it, but like 2016 is the best one I ever witnessed live. Yeah, I agree. Um, because of the story, because of the games, you had the game seven that lived up to it. So I, I would be hard pressed to put that any less than like third on the list. I could see that. I would probably make a case for 84. The one thing that kills the 2016 finals for me, that kills it is, is not what I'm saying. The one thing that maybe knocks it back a peg is I remember even thinking at the time that this sort of off the court, I mean, it wasn't technically off the court, but like if Draymond doesn't get suspended, they probably don't lose that game five. I mean, they did lose game six and seven with him, but I, I understand what you're saying. But game six was back in Cleveland. Then game seven was a game mm-hmm. seven you're down 3-1. You're on the road. You've just lost. No, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I think I would agree more with that if there was the implication that he didn't do anything to get suspended. He deserved to be suspended. Oh, I agree. I agree. I'm pulling up a website I found that ranked the top 10 just to give you there for good measure. They had, is this the one that's way too current? Um, because there's one that does a decent job talking about all of them, and there's one I had that's just like all like modern ones. This seems like the one that's a little bit better. So this one has 84 is number one. Yeah. 2013 is number two. Okay. 2016 is number three. Mm-hmm. 69 is number four. Yeah. They have 78, which we didn't even talk about, is number five. We talked about it briefly. That was yeah. the bullets in the Sonics. Then 70 is number six. Okay. 88, seven, 57, eight, 62, nine. And then they have 93, 10. Okay. So they were about where we were. Yeah. A couple of differences. If I had to pick a six game series, I would probably go 93. I think the 87 Lakers Celtics series was a really good one too. Cause that's got that Epic game four when magic hits the, mm-hmm. the sky hook, the baby hook. And there's this, you know, if you will look at the video clip, there's like seven Hall of Famers on the court between the two teams for the last shot for, of the game. For sure. So that's another good one. Yeah, I, I think that list basically gets at it. I, I, I think probably 84 and 16, especially if we're talking kind of modern era, like, you know, my lifetime, the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. I would say that I, I do think that a lot of those Lakers Celtic series or even some of those Celtic St. Louis series are absolutely epic and you shouldn't discount those, but yeah, I mean, sort of, if you made me make one pick, I'd probably go 84 and then 16 second 84. I think one to seven was probably a better series the way Cleveland won that game seven and 16 
is probably not com- that's probably above any other game seven win I- i'd have to take a minute to think about it but that's my initial instinct i think that's correct i think that's the best way to look at that cool well this would be a good way we'll get this out in the next couple of weeks and it'll be a good way to sort of get ourselves into the nba get everybody into the nba finals yeah yeah by the time you know we're as we're recording this, we're getting towards the end of the second round. So, you know, by the time it's up, we'll probably be well into the conference finals and we can uh, go from there. And, hey, maybe we'll get lucky and this year will be another uh, another finals that's worthy of discussion down the line. And it won't be Boston Lakers, to say the least. At the very least. Could still be Boston, but we'll see what happens. It won't be Philly either. You'll know when we recorded this by the by him saying that, because by tomorrow that will not be a possibility. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Be interesting to see. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. This was fun. We like doing a list and this was a good way to kind of breeze through the, the history of the, uh, the NBA, uh, NBA finals. And until the, our next journey into the world of sports history, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the sports history network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.